So there's this thought, this wisdom in our culture that when you don't know what to do, what you should do is just follow your heart and or do what makes you happy. And honestly, it sounds pretty reasonable. I mean, we've all known people who felt trapped in their lives, people who were trapped in situations or relationships or jobs that they hated. Um, We all knew what it was like to feel trapped in California and we hated it. Um, We all have known people who found themselves in a life that didn't reflect who they really were or ultimately what they wanted out of life. That that just sort of did what was expected of them. That kind of towed the company line, that did what their parents wanted them to do or they felt forced into something by somebody who was kind of living vicariously through them. And we've known people in those situations and they're miserable and they're stuck. And, and honestly, none of us want that. Not, nobody signs up for that. Nobody sees that as how their life should be going. And then on top of all of that, there's this overarching pull in our culture towards uniformities, towards standardization, towards everybody you know, following this acceptable path, this very specific kind of timeline of how your life is supposed to go and when you're supposed to go to school and what you're supposed to do and what it's supposed to look like and how you're supposed to have it all figured out by a certain age. And, but the problem is there's something sort of intuitive in us that kind of knows that that's not necessarily how life is supposed to work. And so... If we want to be happy and if the antidote to ending up stuck and or miserable is to follow your heart, well then why not? Yeah, let's do that. But the question that we're asking this morning is, well, is that really the antidote? Is that the best advice? So for all of his accomplishments, maybe the most famous speech that Steve Jobs ever gave was uh, in 2005 at the commencement of Stanford University. And it's truly powerful and moving. If you haven't listened to it, you definitely should. Um, But I wanted to read part of what he said uh, this morning, because I I think it it speaks into this conversation. This is is what Steve Jobs said in 2005. Um, He had just found out about six months before this that he had cancer. Uh, He says, your time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life. Don't be trapped by dogma, which is living with the results of other people's thinking. Don't let the noise of other people's opinions drown out your own inner voice. And most importantly, have the courage to follow your heart and your intuition for they somehow already know what you truly want to become. Everything else in life is secondary. Now, when you hear that, maybe you're like me and you feel a little conflicted. It's a little confusing because some of what he says is really true and beautiful and powerful and it's really great. But then there's other parts of it where I'm like, what? I mean, is it actually true that your heart and your intuition are the most trustworthy thing to build your life on? What what I've found in my life is the best and most dangerous lies are actually half-truths. And I actually think that there's so much truth in what he's saying that it's easy to kind of just swallow it whole and this becomes this, this giant sort of wisdom in our culture that the best thing you can do for your life is to follow your heart. Because when we say just follow your heart in our culture, the idea is that, you know, what we don't say, but what we're really trying to describe, I think what, what Steve Jobs, you know, what, if we're kind of unpacking the context of what he's, is, is that your heart is this infallible internal guide that will never lead you astray. 
It's a pre-programmed kind of gut level GPS that will always lead you in the right direction. It will never get you lost. It will alert you when you're about to make a bad decision and it will fill you with peace and joy and good vibes when you're on track and you're following your specific unique path for your life. And even if somehow on the off chance it leads you astray, at least you were being true to yourself and you didn't end up going the wrong way because of someone else. Of course, the catch to all of that is, well, we all know that that's not true, right? You, you already know that that's not true. Most of us figured it out pretty early in our lives. Like I, I think I figured it out in the fourth grade. I don't know if this happened to you in elementary school where you fell in love on the playground before school and at lunch, you were pledging your undying love to each other. But by afternoon recess, things had gone terribly wrong and could not be reconciled. And so you broke up and you told yourself that you would never, ever, ever love again. So for me, I lived that, same, that exact experience when I was in fourth grade with a girl named Trisha. Sweet, sweet Trisha. We were both in Miss Pasqua's fourth grade class at Nisley Elementary School in Grand Junction, Colorado. And I was on the playground playing before school and she sent her friend Stacy over to me on the playground to tell me that she liked me. And when, that, when she said that, my heart exploded and I knew what I had to do, you guys. I had to pop the question. And so I sat down and I gathered my thoughts and I carefully crafted a deep and heartfelt letter or note and this is what it said. Dear Trisha, will you go out with me? Yes, no. I'm a gentleman, you guys. I gave her an out. Maybe so. Like, you don't have to. Look, if it's too much pressure, you don't have to tell me right now. And I even said, please check one. There was I did no pressure. It didn't take long for her to say yes. That note made, it back, made its way back to me. And that day at lunch, even though we didn't really see or talk to each other at all. Those were the happiest, most love-filled 30 minutes of my fourth grade life. And I don't know where it all went wrong. All I know is that Trisha turned out to be a cold-hearted snake because she ripped my heart out and stomped on it. And before the afternoon bell, I found myself back on the market. And I vowed to never, ever, ever trust my deceitful heart again because it made me say Yes to her, to chase her. And I meant it. That I would never trust my heart again, at least until the following day when my old trusty heart led me straight to Trisha's best friend, Stacy. <laughs> and the truth is, like, that's happened to all of us, like only in like real life and serious ways, right? With a, with a friendship or, or a major in college or a job or a career, it, it, it's happened as an investment, right? Where we told our things like, the housing bubble will never burst. This is great. It's happened when we've moved, right? And, and of course, in all those situations, looking back, there were warning signs, but it just felt so right. It couldn't be wrong, except it was. I mean, isn't it interesting that we've all had total peace in our hearts about a complete wrong direction or the complete wrong decision? And when that happens, it's very disorienting, right? It's very confusing because you're just like, I thought I knew. Like, what is going on here? Also, for this conversation, like, what are we even talking about when we talk about our heart? So in ancient Greek and Hebrew thought, like, they, they had very different um, 
philosophies of life, but there, there is some crossover. So in, in ancient Greek and Hebrew thought, which is a lot of it, those two things are kind of at the root of how we think about stuff in the West. The heart was the deep center of us. It, it, it's what's at our core. It's the part of us that integrates our thoughts and emotions and desires. It, it's what forms our intuition and our impulses and our habits. And so essentially, when we say follow your heart, when you step back and think of it that way, it means allowing your emotions and impulses and habits to steer your life, which I don't know about you, but I know my own emotions, impulses, and habits, and I know what they're like, and allowing them to steer my life is a terrible idea. Also, sometimes I think when people say, just follow your heart, I think, okay, which one? Because I have all kinds of conflicting impulses and desires in my life. I mean, my feelings can be all over the place in, in just a matter of seconds. Sometimes they're up, they're down, they're hot, they're cold. How I respond in a given moment sometimes depends on whether or not I've eaten or how much I've eaten or how much sleep I got or how much I like or dislike the person that I happen to be talking to or do they remind me of my dad or the old girlfriend I used to date in college. You know, it's like all this stuff and I'm supposed to let that steer my life. So there's an interesting story in the scriptures of a guy named Solomon and he decided in a moment in his life, in a period, season of his life, he was going to follow his heart no matter what. And he came to an interesting conclusion at the end of it. I want you to see in Ecclesiastes chapter two, beginning with verse one, he says, I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found out this too was meaningless. And so I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? And after much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. I love that. He's like, I tried to figure out, I tried to have a good life. I tried to experience all this stuff. And at the end, it was meaningless too. So I thought, why bother? Let's just get drunk. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. In this way, I tried to experience the, hap the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. So he's very uh, nihilistic, right? These are, he's very cynical in this moment. He says, I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and planting vineyards. I made gardens and parks. I filled them with all kinds of fruit-bearing trees. I built reservoirs to collect water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I bought slaves, both men and women. Others were born into my household. I also owned large herds and flocks more than any of the kings who had ever lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, which by the way, feels a little bit over the top. Like, can you imagine? You're just like, I'm so rich. Look, I want you guys to follow me around and sing. Like, I, I need a soundtrack for my life. And just, oh, sing my favorite because I'm also a king. And if you sing a song I don't like, I'll kill you. But like, just sing my favorites, all right? Sing the hits. But he says, I hired wonderful singers, both men and women. And I had beautiful concubines, which means he had a lot of sex. And I had everything a man could desire. So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I, I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work. I found a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless. It was like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. So my first thought when I read this, have you ever heard a rich person, like a really rich person talk about how empty money and the good life is? And you think, 
yeah, I don't, I don't really want to take your word for it. I'd like to try that out for myself. Like, I'd really, that's easy for you to say. Why don't you try not having money? Why don't you try the not good life? But what I love about this story is just how open and matter of fact Solomon is. He's like, you name it, I had it and I did it. All the good things in life. And then he goes through his list, right? He, pleasure, sex, relationships, creativity, money, building. He had meaningful work. He had the best food and drink. He had entertainment, achievement, prestige, accolades. He was wise. He had greatness. He had the reputation. And he basically says, anything that my heart desired, I did it. Everywhere my heart led me, I followed it. I denied myself nothing. But his conclusion is, in the end, there's no there there. It's just empty and meaningless. Wow. The other thing I want you to see about this particular story or about Solomon is that I think it's important for us to see that money and power were not obstacles for him. Like he had all the money in the world and he was the king. So he could do whatever it is he wanted to do. See, Solomon's story is not particularly unique. We've all experienced at some level the thing he's talking about. But unlike Solomon, we didn't have unlimited money and we didn't have unlimited power. And so our hearts are sneaky in this way. They'll begin to lie to us. They will tell us that the reason it didn't work out, the reason why it didn't go how we hoped it would go, the reason it wasn't as fulfilling as we thought it would be is because something or someone got in our way, that we just didn't have the the, the money or the ability to do it like we truly wanted to, and that's why it was so meaningless. But Solomon would say, no, no, that's not it, trust me, because neither of those things were issues for me. In fact, if Solomon were here, he would say, look, following your heart equals chasing the wind. I don't know if you've ever chased the wind, but I'm committed to research just for you. And so last year, this is one of my favorite like portions of scripture, Ecclesiastes, because Solomon is just so, like his life story is so incredible. And so I was reading this last year, I went and ran in the park, chased the wind on a windy day. And it is as bad as it sounds. You wire yourself out doing nothing and you get, it's pointless. And that's what he's saying. Like there's the, don't do that. See, God actually has a lot to say uh, to us in the scriptures about our hearts and almost none of it is good. So in the Old Testament, the people of God were constantly struggling with being torn away from the things that God said, from the way that he designed for them to live. And they were torn away from that to follow their own hearts. And so it's it's a conversation that God is constantly having when you read the Old Testament that he's constantly having with his people. And so in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse nine, God, this is the context, this is the topic of conversation, and this is what God said. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? So here he's saying basically what Solomon admitted, which is, look, when, you, when people just follow their hearts, it doesn't go well. It, it just kind of messes up their life. It gets them into trouble. And the truth is, we all know what it's like to be sort of drawn towards something, but not know exactly why we're drawn towards that thing. And that's part of the mystery of our heart, right? That, that, it's, that we don't always know what's motivating us, that it's complicated and convoluted. And so this week I started kind of making a list of like, if I were to follow my heart, like what is my heart trying to get me to do? And I, I think like maybe you'll find this is true of you as well. So because I think for the most part, like your heart is interested in getting you to do 
what, what feels good, right? Then experiencing pleasure, like, oh my gosh, that tasted amazing. That ice cream was delicious. I should eat that at every meal. It's also trying to get you to do what feels familiar so you have some predictability in your life and some stability. Like, I know he deals drugs, but you've always been into bad boys. Or it's trying to get you to do what feels interesting so you have some novelty and entertainment. Yes, your work proposal is past due, but season two just dropped. You owe it to yourself. You've earned it. It's trying to get you to do what feels validating or, or what, what causes you to feel approved or accepted, right? So, so it's like, can you afford it? No. Will it make them like you? Maybe. All right, let's do it. And it's trying to get you to do what feels safe or bring security. Like somebody should speak up. Like that dude's doing the wrong thing. Somebody should speak up with that. Not you, but somebody else. You, you need this job. A couple of weeks ago, I went to um, my, my boss for pastor's appreciation in October. He flew me down and all of the campus pastors, we all went um, to the Lakers game. He got a suite and a box. It was fantastic. It was, I don't, you know, I didn't really care about LA, downtown LA as a, as a whole, but um, the experience was great. Like having people bring you unlimited food and all kinds of stuff. It was fantastic. And the game was good. It went to overtime. It was a great game. And we walked out of the booth and about 15 yards from us after the game, people are spilling out into the concourse. About 15 yards from us, um, there was a fight. And these three dudes were beating the crap out of this guy. He was on the ground. They got him on the ground and they um, were stomping him and punching him. And I, I just... Like, I hate that. To me, it's like, he lost. He's on the ground. Leave him alone. Like, walk away. To make matters worse, there was a security guard that was there and he was watching the whole thing. And he's like, I called security, but I'm not getting involved. That's what he said. He's like, I don't want to end up beat up. Um, and, and so when that was happening, there was like eight to 10 of us. And so in my head, I was like, we're going to go help that guy. And so I started running over there to get involved. What I didn't know is that Moses, my boss, went with me, but nobody else was. They were like, we got you. You just go over there and handle it. And so I ran up there to this fight, and the guy that was like this, you know, this gangster dude, like he saw me coming, and I thought in my head when we started getting involved, they would take off. They did not take off. They were like, all right, more victims. And so he squared up to me and was like, and he started coming at me, and I was like, whoa, 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 no, no, no. Like, no, dude, like, I'm just trying to help that dude. I do not want to fight you. I started talking to him and he was like circling around me. I was like, dude, we're, I'm not fighting you. Just go. Like you already, you know, I'm trying to like talk. I was like, I cannot get beat up in the, you know, in the, in the Lakers arena right now. And it turns out like, so they finally, like our, our friends sort of started coming around and they finally took off and were able to help the guy and he was bloody and they dislocated his shoulder. It was a mess. But like the, the, you know, there's part of us that just wants to seek safety, to not get involved. Because I can tell you what a bunch of other people, about 50 other people were standing there that could have gotten involved and helped, but no, they were just, they were streaming it. They were recording it. See, see we want to do what, what feels good and what, what feels comforting. We want to do what brings us security. We want to do what feels validating. But, but notice what isn't on the list, Right? What, what's not on the list of what our heart wants us to do is what, what is good, what, what is right. We want to do what feels good and feels right, but, but our heart never leads us toward what is good and what is right. What's not on the list is what is wise and what is important. See, one of the problems with following your heart is that our strongest desires 
are often not our deepest desires. And the two of those things are in constant conflict with one another in both little ways and big ways. For instance, for me, most of my adult life, when, like I've wanted abs. Also, I want tacos. And I can, well, you know which one's winning. You know which one has won, right? And I can tell you, my deeper desire there is to have abs. My stronger desire is to have tacos. See, the, your deepest desires and your strongest desires are not always not always lining up. And maybe the biggest bummer about all of this is even when you do follow your heart, it never ends up being enough. And that's what Solomon was talking about. Because if you're like me, you can never have enough. You can never be filled up. And the truth is, as it turns out, our hearts shouldn't be followed as much as they need to be led. See, don't follow your heart. Lead your heart towards the kind of life that God created you for. The, turf, the toughest person you will ever lead in your life is yourself. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus is talking to a bunch of religious leaders about this conversation. And in verse 19, he says this. He says, from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. Well, you know, just follow your heart. I take a moment and imagine that your heart is a person. If somebody introduced you to the person that had the characteristics and tendencies that Jesus just unfolded, would you let them make decisions for you? Would you just blindly follow everything they tell you to do? Of course you wouldn't. Yet we all do that all the time. Think about it. Our prisons are full of people who acted on their emotions and impulses, who followed their heart. And if following your heart is the way to live, those people should be our biggest inspiration, right? Like, guys, he's so awesome. He followed his heart and he got 20 to life. Now, if it's not obvious already, this is not a new conversation. This is not something we invented. Just follow your heart is not something that we came up with. It's something that honestly, that's been around from the beginning. For instance, if you go all the way back to the, the origin story in Genesis, to the, the, the beginning of the story between God and humans, and God creates Adam and Eve and he puts them in paradise and he gives them one standard. Uh, and, and that is that you cannot eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can do whatever you want. You can go wherever you want. You can eat whatever you want. You just need to leave this tree alone. But you know how the story goes. They could not leave the tree alone. They could have done anything. Adam could have chopped a tree down, made a canoe, sailed down the Euphrates with Eve. He didn't do that. Instead, they just hung out right next to the thing. It seems like they just kind of hung around the thing that they weren't supposed to do which is, you know, if you have kids, you know what that's like. You know how we are. You tell them not to do that, and they're like, don't touch that thing. And so the serpent shows up, begins to have a conversation with Eve, and this is how it goes, Genesis 3, verse 4. It says, he says, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced probably because her heart was already telling her the same thing. And she saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom that it could give her. And so she took some of the fruit and she ate it. And then she gave it some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were indeed opened, but suddenly they were full of shame at their own nakedness. See, God gave them one boundary and only one, but Eve's 
heart pulled her in that direction. It'll be good. It'll taste good. It'll be exciting and fun. Her heart told her that there wouldn't be any consequences for what she was doing. Her heart told her that even if it was wrong in general, if that's really what God meant, it would still be the right thing for her because it would give them wisdom. And her heart could not have been more wrong. But it's not just, it wasn't just them. It's all of us. It's me. It's you. I mean, haven't, haven't you had moments in your life? Like I, I've had moments where, where you can almost hear the whisper in your soul. Don't listen to God. Follow your heart. You know what's best for you. You can judge what's right and wrong for you. You don't need to believe in God. You don't need to listen to that guy. Just believe in yourself. See, I, I've known the sting and the pain of following my heart. I've had to deal with the fallout of choices I made. What is it that Jeremiah said? The human heart is the most deceitful of all things. Yeah, I've experienced that. I think we've all been tricked by our hearts. We've all fallen victim to them. So what are we supposed to do? Do we just ignore them? Do we just kind of conform to the life or the path that culture or other people sort of force us into? Do we just kind of resign to just kind of figuring it out and fumbling our way through life? The truth is often we think about like those are our only two options, but they're not. All over the scriptures, God actually speaks very clearly into this conversation. In fact, in the book of Ezekiel, God is talking to his people who had found themselves in a world of hurt because they had followed their heart. And he doesn't shame them. He doesn't browbeat them. He doesn't shake his finger in their face. Instead, he makes, this, he makes this incredibly beautiful promise to them. In Ezekiel chapter 36, beginning with verse 25, he says, he's speaking to his people. He says, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. All the filth of your life will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart and I will put in you a new spirit and I will take, you out, I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. See, the good news this morning is that God is in the heart transplant business. Like his intention isn't to control you. His intention isn't to try to get you to straighten up and follow the rules. His intention isn't to try to, you know, get you to conform to some religious standard. No, his heart is to begin to pull you and lift you from the filth and the mess and the chaos and the emptiness and the brokenness that Solomon described of life and to begin to clean us up, to heal us and to give us a new heart. In fact, in Psalm chapter 37, verse four, David wrote these words. He said, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. See, this is a life that's way better and way beyond just follow your heart. It's the life that you were created to live. It's the life that God dreams for your life. It's the desires and the passions and the plans that he longs for you to experience. But here's the thing. God only gives his God-sized dreams and God-sized life to people with God-shaped hearts. That's why David said, delight yourself in the Lord, and then he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, maybe you're thinking, wait, wait, wait. So if God gives you a new heart, why can't I trust it? Which is a great question. 
And my best understanding of the answer is that it's complicated. And so I thought the best way for us to try to wrap our heads around this is to start with uh, what happens in a physical heart transplant. Because one of the most common complications in a heart transplant is graft versus host. It's where the recipient's body rejects the heart. It attacks the new heart. Their immune system begins attacking it because it's a foreign object, because it thinks it's a disease. And it literally turns on and tries to kill the thing that saved its life and is keeping it alive. So all through the New Testament, God describes something similar that happens to us spiritually, that he gives us a new heart, but our previous existing sinful nature immediately begins to attack and reject it. In fact, when you read the New Testament, so much of what the apostle Paul writes in the New Testament after the life of Jesus is really about that very thing. He uses slightly different language. Like he talks about the, the, like going to war with your flesh or the lust of your flesh. He talks about it in that way. But what he's saying is like, we all have this, this core. We all have this sense. We all have this part of us that's warring against the new heart, this new life, this new thing that God is doing in us. But the more that we lead our hearts the more that we follow Jesus, the more that we delight ourselves in the Lord, the more the singular pursuit in our lives becomes following after and being connected to the only source of life, the more that we can actually begin to learn to trust the heart that God has placed within inside within us. One day we will be free from sin. One day we'll be fully aligned with God. But until then, we're locked in this struggle with and for our hearts. A few minutes ago, you heard Pastor Moses share these verses in Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. I think it's so interesting to me that the guy that we read about earlier, who fully chased after and followed his heart and saw where it all led, that that same guy is the one who wrote these verses and wrote this truth. And he's going, look, if I've learned anything, don't trust your heart. Trust God. Don't think you got to figure out what your life is supposed to be all about on your own. You can follow after God and his words and his wisdom. And when you do, that's when you'll know which path to take. He'll show you. He'll direct you on to the path to take. Now, you don't have to do any of that. None of us do. You can definitely Follow your heart, but it's not going to lead to the life that you're hoping for. Just ask Solomon. In John chapter 1, verse 14, John wrote about Jesus this way. He said, the word, the logos, the essence, the wisdom of God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. And so what he's saying is that God took all of his essence, all of his wisdom, all of his understanding, all of his glory and his presence, everything that he was about, and he packaged it and put it in a person, his son, Jesus. See, you don't have to wonder what God is saying to you. You don't have to try to figure out where God is leading you. You don't have to try to guess what it looks like to trust God with all of your heart. You can just look at Jesus and follow him. See, it's not an accident when you read through the gospels, you read through the life of Jesus that over and over and over again, Jesus's invitation to people was to come and to follow him. And that's the same invitation that he makes to us. This is not about being a Christian 
Because you can believe in God and you can believe in Jesus' sacrifice for you and still not be following him. You, you, this is about what is the thing that's directing your life? What is the thing that you're following? Because you are following something. What is it that's leading you? Who or what are you following? It's interesting how easy it is for us to miss this, that the entire premise of Christianity isn't that Jesus wants you to go to heaven after you die. That's part of it, but that is not the premise of Christianity. It's that the best and wisest way to live, that the only source of life is to base your existence on the person and the sacrifice and the way of Jesus. It's not going to church. It's not being religious. It's not checking a box that you believe the right things. It's about where life is found. And when you begin to live like that, when you die, life will overcome death and you will live in eternity in heaven. But that's not just why he came. So maybe the easiest way to sum up this whole conversation is don't follow your heart follow Jesus. Don't follow your heart. You can't trust it. Follow Jesus. And the great mystery is that when you do, that's when you will be free to be who he created you to be. That's when you will begin to discover the unique expression of your life and your personality and your gifts and your abilities and your God-given passion. See, one of the great tragedies, I think, of the church in our country in the last 30 years is that somehow there's this thing that's caught on in churches that to go to church is like, just, we're just trying to get everybody to look the same and dress the same and talk the same and think the same. And, and that is not at all God's heart because he, all of the gifts and abilities and intelligences and passions and creativity, all of that, God placed it within you. So starting this week, what if we, as we move forward, what if we decided that the pattern for our life is that we're only gonna do what Jesus would do if he were you. It sounds limiting, I know. But in my experience, my imperfect experience, it's actually ultimate freedom. I mean, just imagine for a moment how your life would be different if that's how you lived. Imagine for a moment, this isn't a message for somebody else, it's a message for you. I mean, just something simple. Just think about it. Would, would Jesus take a credit card and spend money he doesn't have, racking up debt to buy clothes that he doesn't need to impress people who won't even notice and wouldn't care if they did? Probably not. He probably wouldn't do that. And you can take and pull the string of every, every direction that your heart wants to lead you and just pull that out, play that out and go, is this something... Is this wise? Is this what Jesus would do if he were me? Don't follow your heart. It's way bigger, way better, the life that God has for you. Follow Jesus. Let's pray together.